Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. So I'm playing uh, in uh, the last time I saw a full show was May 13th. 2011 when she did the welcome to america tour and stevie wonder's birthday was that day and stevie wonder put it on stage and and it's like the, hear this great riff this great bass riff i'm going boy that sounds familiar that sounds really familiar and then he just bends it slightly and you realize he's doing superstition and stevie rises up out of the stage and just going oh my god this is incredible this is the biggest night of my life and 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 you just hear them doing superstition you're going it's stevie's birthday prince and stevie wonder are playing singing superstition and just going I mean, even just talking about it, I'm going, this is, I love that. that and, and a fan of that stuff knows what I'm talking about, you know, because there's, a, there's a, an energy that you get. And like I said, seeing Stevie Wonder rise out of the stage, it's like, oh, is that him? Oh, my God, it is. You know, that, oh, it's the best. The best. So. I had mentioned, I'm not sure if I mentioned on the air or before we came on air, but when I saw Stevie Wonder at Glam Slam, right. um, Prince called him on stage. It was like three in the morning by then or something like that. And uh, they did Maybe Your Baby. Oh. And just to see Stevie doing it, laying it down, and Prince next to him with the guitar, looking at Stevie like you or I would look at Stevie. Mm -hmm. You know, just here's his idol he's thrilled about. And mm -hmm. to see Prince in that perspective was really oh, yeah. cool. I One of the things I really liked about Prince is he made, eventually he made sure you knew who his idols were. Mavis Staples, George Clinton, um, Bootsy, um, Larry Graham. Larry Graham was the one I was going to say. You you knew, and he threw so much respect to them. And what's cool is introduced a lot of people to them. A lot of people had not heard Mavis. They were in this generation. And they're all of a sudden going, oh, what's this? This is fantastic. And it's not just Melody Cool. It's having her open for the nude tour. And and that's where I saw her first was in Cork, Ireland. And and she opened for the nude tour there. And I was going, oh, I knew, who, I knew her music, the Staples Sisters. But hearing her up there you're going oh she's got a voice she's got a presence and you just sing it live and i think that he introduced a lot of people like you said larry graham some people may be upset with the with the era of larry graham but he, there's no denying larry graham is you know a, 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 an elder in the funk you know and the things he brings to it you you could talk about his music for days and prince respect that and said come on in with me and play with me and join in this and, and there was just something full of joy about when he started recognizing because i think early on in his career he would tell people i don't have any you know any people that i i you know but then once he started accepting that yes you know and i i felt bad when he played with j with james brown that time and you know kind of mm. he was he was you know he wasn't ready he was not ready and and, and michael jackson was up on the stage with him you know, michael jackson was studying at the feet of james brown for for a long time Prince said not, and not publicly acknowledged it like that. So it's, it, you know, when you talk about uh, going to the, um, as the, the P-Funk, you know, and he talks about playing knee deep and stuff like that. And you just, you picture how much that must've been to him as a fan. And then he takes that and puts that in his career. I love that. I love that. So it's nice.
had Maceo too is one, one other one that oh, he yeah, reached great back. Call. So yeah, at least he didn't get to do that with James Brown, but he had that. Oh yeah. Element, well, you know? he used to say Maceo in, in songs before and Maceo, and it would just be the horns because he was just so used to JB doing that. And, and, you know, anybody who's a fan of this stuff goes, Oh, he's making a reference here. And, and that that's fun when you get the callbacks, you know, I love that stuff. So Dwayne, a little bit more about you. Uh, how did you get involved way back with Uptown? Um, Uptown had, um, for those who don't know, Uptown's a magazine out of Sweden that uh, um, Pierre Nielsen was the person who was in charge of it. And it was a, a Prince fan magazine. And I saw, the, I think, the first issue or two. And I, I was like, oh, my God, this is great. And I reached out to him. It was probably 1989, 80, 89, 90. And I reached out to him and said, are you looking for writers? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So we just started writing things and, you know, I started interviewing people and I went to, I supplied all the, um, the dates of um, when Prince was in the studio here in Los Angeles at different studios. I went to like Sunset and I, I asked them, can I, do you, have a, I was interviewing a lot of the engineers and I asked them, um, you don't have the work orders for when he was here, do you? And they said, oh yeah, we do. And I was like, oh, okay. And he said, you want to, you want to, you want a copy of them? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Maybe, yeah, you know, trying not to jump out uh, of my shirt. And um, so they, they they let me copy them and they just showed me how to do this. And um, that's what I brought to Uptown with a lot of these dates and stuff like that. It's funny, when I when I got the, the work orders done, the guy gave them to me and, and he said, you know, I told him we're writing this stuff. And he's like, hey, great, you know. And as I'm walking out of the parking lot, I'm thinking, at any point, somebody's going to come out and say, you know, we've been considering this. You might want to, you know, so I'm like, you know, but they were they were so cool there. A guy named Craig Hubler, who passed away, um, was the guy that that did that for me. And they were so open and, and and Prince was such family to them that they wanted this stuff to be known that he did. Sunset Sound was basically Paisley Park before Paisley Park was Paisley Park. And um, it was just owned by somebody else. But Prince was always there. Um, so when I when I started working for Uptown and Pierre Nelson up working it was voluntary. It was, you know, um, we all were writing this stuff. It was just, we, we was a bunch of nerdy fans. Like we're having a nerd off here, you know? Um, it was a bunch of us nerdy fans just writing stuff and, and but doing it with a, um, wanting the facts to be right, wanting the music to be told, uh, the stories to be told about the music through the people that were there. So we interviewed Susan Rogers, Peggy McCreary, a lot of Coke Johnson, a lot of different people, engineers, as well as the band members, when we get interviews with different band members, Bobby Z got interviewed, um, you know, all these, I think Pepe Willie got interviewed, all these different people. And it became somewhat of a, um, a respected magazine. This is a bunch of us nerds, you know, writing this stuff. And, and it ended up going, you know, I don't know if there's another fan magazine like that out there. Controversy, maybe, but it, I don't, I think controversy is more about Prince the star. And we were about Prince documenting it yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. no it was and, a great publication yeah thank you and i think that a lot of us really i'm still friends with a lot of people the, the people that worked on that ended up going and making the prince vault which is the, the still a big you know place for information anybody any writer um any person working on things about prince uses the prince vault as prince it's princevault.org i think uh they use that information there because it just is um, you know i used it and i made sure i credited that in the book um but all these people ended up going and doing this stuff, you know, um, that worked on this. And and Pierre Nilsson, who ran it, I'm still in touch with. We still talk every few weeks. Um, you know, it's funny. We've been working together on stuff for 30 years. I've never met him. Only talked to him on the phone once in 30 years. Wow. That's Yeah, I know. And that was only because I, I was trying to fax. He's in Sweden. And I was trying to fax him one night. And... Uh, it woke him up. He had his phone on his, his phone was that back when you had a phone and fax in one thing. And I woke him up. He's like, hello, in a Swedish accent. Hello. And, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Pierre. And, and so that was, <laughs> you were out your welcome in that one. <laughs> I did. It took us 30 years to get over it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's funny that I still have not, um, still not met him or talked to him. And, and we've been did, friends for 30 years. Did you guys ever make a serious run at trying to, you know, interview Prince for Uptown? Um, we wanted to, but then he sued Uptown and that kind of put a, a, a damper on it. Um, he sued Uptown for using the symbol and, uh, um, 
and it was like, wait, you you gave us the symbol to use. It's it's you 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 handed out discs with this on there. It's you know. So the the big lawsuit, a guy named Alex Hahn, who's also a Prince writer, um, was the lawyer who worked pro bono on this, and he defended Uptown and said, look, you know, we they were given this thing to use. We won't use it again. And then I think Prince also was upset. They thought Uptown was promoting bootlegs. So what they, the agreement would be is that they don't talk about bootleg bootleg recordings. They could talk about unreleased songs, but not bootlegs. And, that, you know, it's fine. That makes sense. He, he was not happy with that. I, I agree with him. Um, so that was what the lawsuit was. And, and the, I think the covers after that had to say um, uncensored, unofficial, whatever it was, the wording that they had. Um, but I thought it was a great magazine. And, and they did the book called The Vault, which was still considered to be basically the Prince Bible. Um, and uh, Pierre Nelson did a book called DMSR, which is great, you know. So and didn't he do one called the documentary? Yes, documentary came first. Documentary was the first book he did, and that yeah. turned into the Vault and Days of Wild and stuff like this. But that was um, the first attempt at really looking at his career, placing dates and stuff like this. And, and when we doing this, um, doing the Vault, I mentioned to Pierre, I'd love to do a book about studio sessions. You know, like a, just a book, and he said, "Yeah, we and we laughed about it." You know, I mean, on email um, because we weren't talking. Um, but we wanted. To, I said, "This would be great to do it." And then I started thinking, "How do I do this?" And um, that's where the book sort of came from. To jump ahead, maybe um, is I started thinking. I started working on the um, on my first book. It took me about twenty, twenty-five years to do. Um, as you understand, you do, because um, you took the same thing on your book. It's it's just it's a lot of you, you want it right, and you want and you don't know where it's going to go. And the first book I was doing, I thought, oh, maybe I could do a you know his whole career or studio sessions. And you realize, no, that's a lot. And we also have day jobs. So it, there's, <laughs> yeah, I think people forget that, you know. Um, but yeah, it's and, and and you know, anytime you're writing a book, it's a full time job. It is, you are. Every day, every um, every holiday, every evening, you know, and I, I, you know, for a couple of years, I wouldn't take a day off. But I had toward the end of uh, beginning of, 80, of 2016, I've been working on this for several years by this point. My wife said, look, you've got three or four or five weeks in between jobs. I was a producer and stuff for TV at the time I was doing the directing or producing it. And, and she said, look, you have you have a job here. You're finishing this job. You got a series of weeks here, right? Just focus on the writing, and I did, and I finished the book in March of 2016, which is a month before he passed away. I do have a copy of that here. There you are. Look at that. I recognize that book. And Questlove did the forward for it. I was very happy with that. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, and I I um, but I finished it a month before he passed away, and then I thought, do I do I I don't know if I want to release this because, you know, I just want to don't want to be the guy that's releasing stuff after he passed away. You know, it seemed like the ambulance chaser or something like that. And I talked to some of the people I interviewed because I interviewed, I think, three or four dozen people who worked with him. And uh, they said, no, you've done a lot of work on this. So I found a publisher and got some more interviews to add to it. And the toughest thing for me. Yeah, I, I got to just tell you one thing. Okay, go ahead. This show debuted in March 2016. Oh, wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So you understand that time period. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you understand the heartbreak when you're that focused on something like that? Like I was focused, it was tough for me when he passed away. And I still don't even like to say died when he passed away. It's like almost, I can't say, but, um, I had to go through the book and take out all the, um, Prince is and make it Prince was. And that was painful because, you don't realize the letting go a little bit that had to go with that because it was like there's I still in conversation we'll talk about Prince is and it's not accurate now and 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 so it's it's it, it was tough that was I think one of the tougher things is is uh is is the Prince making it past tense because I never thought he would be past tense he should have been an elder statesman he should have been this 80 year old guy teaching young people how to play how to perform how to career how to manage a career how to be an artist and then giving out songs yeah you young kid here's a song i did back in the 80s you can do it cover that you know he should have been that guy 
And well, then, I tell people, I mean, he was pushing to, in my eyes, he was pushing the envelope still right up until the end. I mean, he <laughs> doing the, you know, piano tour and, and the stuff with mono neon he was doing late mm -hmm. nights and yep. uh, the hit and run. Some of that stuff was kind Absolutely. of experimental. Yeah. He was doing what he wanted to do. What a great talent that is to be able to do what you want to do, you know, and, and the, you've got a mind that goes on Monday morning saying, this is what we're going to do. And then Tuesday, you're going, I've changed my mind. Maybe even Monday afternoon, you'll change his mind. That's the way he was as an artist. And, and that's why we get so many varied things. And that's why there's so many things that are not released, you know, because he may be in the middle of a, of a thing and go, yeah, you know, I'm going to change this idea now. Gonna, I want to do this instead. And, and you kind of have to respect that. And, um, and he was the one that could decide, you know, the album was ready when he was done with it. That, that's the bottom line. The fun thing is, it's interesting. If you look through the books, and two books I've written, um, you'll notice at the end of the month is when he started finishing albums. Like, he, like he'd give himself a mental date, like March 30th, I got to be done with this thing. So like the last two or three days before that, he's like, don't he's like doing all the finishing stuff that happened on several albums. If you look through the first book, the end of January 85, uh, 84, he's like finishing the time album. On the end of February, he's finishing the Apollonia Six album. Like he would lock it down, and and there was a a self imposed deadline. I think probably I'm I'm sure Warner Brothers was saying, you know, but at the same time he's like it'll be ready when it's ready, and I'm sure he put his finger up like that when he did that too. So a lot of people may be focused on year ambitions, and right. he had that funneled down to month. Yeah, or time. day. Yeah, exactly. And 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 you see that some of the things you look at the at the the. The final version of a lot of these things was done the last day or so of a month as if he's going, I've got, I've got to get this done because I, I got to I got to be able to flush this out of my head and move on to the next thing. You know, I think that the other thing I think with a lot of his stuff, and this may be common with other musicians, too, is when you start a project, there's a love. It's like dating and you have this passion for this new love in your life and you do all this stuff. But then toward the end, you're like, oh, no, I got to get this done. You know, and I think that that's what he had is he fell in love with what he was doing. And that's why the first part of it is always this passionate, big picture, you know, lifelong commitment. And and then at the end, he's like, yeah, I kind of have to finish this and get it out. And and not that there was and it was bad. I just think he was ready for the next wife, mistress, girlfriend, musical partnership at the end of that. I think that's the yeah. way he, it seems like that's the way he was. Kind of contention deficit disorder, but in a good way. Uh, for I music. could see that. I could definitely see that. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, the guy had a lot of, when you have that many talents, you have that many directions, you know? And if you just can play guitar, you're going to always be doing a guitar album, you know? <laughs> so if you can play everything, you're going to make a bass album. You're going to make a pop album. You're going to make a drum heavy album. You, you, you can do all that stuff. And, and when you learn a new trick or a new keyboard, you get the DX7, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can do an album that has this on it a lot and I can do it fast. Oh, I got the Fairlight. Fairlight can do this. Well, I, and I can make it sound like this. And so in a week, you may do a whole album because you've got a new toy. And he was like that a lot of times. You know, he went crazy on new equipment and he wouldn't even read the instruction manual from what I understand. He would just go, what does this do? Oh, that's great. Uh, roll tape, you know, and, and you're just going, dude. And then laying down, just laying down a drum track, finding a drum track on the LM1 and, and then adding some live drums to, to give it feeling. And then keyboards and stuff. And he's just going, oh my God, he's got some, he doesn't have to find it. He just has to pour it out. And that's, that's the mind blower about all this stuff is so many times you, if you've heard bands do things where they, they start something and you can hear them kind of progressing and things like this, they're learning the groove, but he didn't have to do that with things. Mostly he would just, all of a sudden the groove would be there and he might add five tracks of guitar and then go three of those are out, you know, and, 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 or whatever it is, he just could, he could do this. And, and, and this, so fluidly and so effort and so seemingly effortless, effortlessly and that that thing is, is it's deceptive because it's because the guy worked so hard that he looked like he could pull magic and air and, and, and music out of the air and and he looked like a magician more than a musician at times because he could just it just appeared it's like no when he's not on stage or in the studio or whatever he was 
he was making that right. He was, he was like they say, you, you know, you don't pay a surgeon for his time. You pay a, for what he, a surgeon for what he knows from the past 30 years. That's what with Prince is it was all the things that he had done that led to that song, that led to this song, that led to that live show. And, and it was obvious he did the work, you know, we're, we're, he never saw him struggle, never saw him struggle. We're so. so lucky to be around not only at a time when he was also doing his thing, but that he came up in a time when technology allowed him to accomplish what right. he accomplished too. Right. Um, That's true. Yeah. Without that, he probably couldn't have done without the uh, LM, the Lynn, he couldn't have done everything from controversy on because that's when he started is uh, on some of the controversy tracks for uh, using the, the, the drum. But he yeah. would have been great in any era. Oh, I'm... dude, dude, the guy would have been great in the Baroque period. He would have, whatever it was, he, he would have, he would have, you know, the guy just had, yeah, I think at any time in music history, he would have found a way to do what he did. Because he, he, he's just, he was music. As he said, he was music. There's no denying that period. After you finished the first book, you know, uh, what point did you decide you were going to make this a series as opposed to just a one-off? And, um, you know, did you kind of question your sanity a little bit to like jump right in again? Yeah, <laughs> I still do. Um, it's, I think it's the same way as somebody giving birth. You know, they, they, they're probably when they're the stirrups, they're saying, I will never do this again, ever. And then you see how much you love that book. You see how much you love the baby and you're like, mm, I'll do it again. And I think that's what happened with me. I was like, I mean, it, it was a lot of work. And the first book, like I said, 20, over 20 years, really writing it on, you know, not every day for the first while, but toward the end, just really focused. And then as you know, writing is rewriting. You first draft is crap. And then you have to make the second draft look like it's supposed to look a little bit better because you realize, oh, I don't know what I was thinking there. Um, Unless you're Prince, but yes. Yeah, exactly. But we're not. <laughs> no one is. Um, but it's Stephen, Stephen uh, King, maybe. I don't know. But uh, Stephen King, I don't understand the ability to just sit there for you know that time and just write like he does. I, I have to have other things in my life. Um, but I, I think that I just, I, 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 once the first book came out and people liked it, I thought, yeah, I want to do that again. I want, I, you know, the first book I thought might be part of a series. I was hoping it would. Um, and then I started thinking, what do I want to do for the next book? And then I thought, well, okay, let's do one on on um, on the next two years. So it's literally the sequel to the day. First book ends on December thirty first, nineteen eighty four. The second book starts January first, nineteen eighty five. So it's literally that within hours of of the first book, and the, and this book, second book, ends with December thirty first, nineteen eighty six. So it literally is two complete years to the day, but it's not just, I think the thing that I have to explain to people who haven't read it is it's not just a bunch of dates. It is the story of what was happening told through his studio sessions and music and through the voices of all the people that were there. I interviewed all the revolution, uh, the family, well, ex except for Jerome, but I use a lot of quotes from Jerome, all of Apollonia six, all these people, talked to me and shared their stories and, and were open to when I had questions for me calling back and saying, I don't understand this. Can you walk me through here? And they would say, oh, wait, either here's the instructions about how that happened, or maybe you got a point that might've happened here. And people were open to not only what they remembered, but what they'd forgotten and were reminded to tell me. And that was kind of fun to hear people say, you know, looking back, I think that was on the seventh as opposed to, you know, and, and so that some discovery fun. for them too. Yeah. And, it, and it's fun when you're talking to people back then, you know, right now I can't do personal interviews with people, but when you're talking to somebody and you can see them rediscovering that the smile comes on their face, like a good time, like, Oh yeah, I remember that. And that's, there's something really fun about sharing that with somebody. Um, and also, I, I, it's been a kick with some of these people. I, I, these are people that were legendary. And last year for my birthday, um, I was trying to get done the, the second book. And Wendy and Lisa both said, well, I'm available that day to talk. And I was like, that's my birthday. That'd be fantastic. So what a birthday treat that was to be able to interview them for a couple hours on my, you know, and, and I was like, this is really fun that I get an opportunity to do this. 
and hearing them tell stories and and share and and people have cried i've had people over the house and and they're listening to some of this music and and start tearing up you know and 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 brenda bennett did that when she was over visiting uh who's in apollonia six and vanity six and she was sitting there saying you know it was a really important time for me and you just see the wall come down of i'm a star to these are my friends and that's what you hear from these people and i think that's what gets expressed in the book a lot of it is he was intimate and i don't mean intimate sexually although he might have been with some people he was intimate with people which means intimate as in shared stories and shared secrets you know when you have friends that you can give each other a look and you know what you're talking about or you say one word and you both laugh because that was a time that something stupid happened he had that with these people and trust and music is about trust especially on stage you try to trust that when i go out on a limb you guys are going to catch me and bring me back and he had that with these bands and hearing them tell these stories about the fun stuff um is 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 charming to me i i i am a big fan of music i love reading about music i like all about I, there's a book called the beatles studio sessions i i just I, I loved there's books about the monkeys in the studio there's books about eric clapton in the studio and that's what i kind of want to do but i wanted to add more of a human touch to these things everybody can talk about the who what and and when but the why is really a, the the most interesting thing to me is why did he do that why was he why were they recording this what were they thinking that there's something about that 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 explains everything is that, the why. that's really the objective of this show too truth and rhythm is you know documenting everything but also you know the why and the truth behind it and that's you know and, the and why finding. questions the why questions are the, are the answers because anybody can look up a date or things how is also really important but and when you can find in documents which you'll never find a why in a document why comes from here and and it requires thought because somebody says um i don't know why we did it and think well you know why think about why you did it and they go i think he did it because i was sad about this he was he was happy about this he just eaten a good sandwich you know or, or whatever it is the why is the key how, how elements came together that ended up in that end yes yeah. yeah and i think it's fun to find out what the influences were for songs and sometimes it's not just one influence he you know prince was not exactly monogamous and so he might be inspired by several people not necessarily he was sleeping with or or that but that he was triggered by inspired by had a muse and and i think it's fun finding those elements and in hearing oh this part was from this and this part was from another person and like most artists they may have multiple inspirations and that's i think that's one of the cool things about prince is he allowed himself to be influenced by so many things and and to find a way to express this you know and so hearing things i never recognized before or parts of songs that he goes somebody says oh that's where they're playing this instrument and this is the first time he played it you know that kind of stuff is fun steel drums oh that's how he did it okay great i love hearing that kind of stuff and it it makes me listen to the music with a new set of ears if that makes sense you know congratulations on both books Thank um you, man. Thank you know you. for especially for someone like myself i mean they're just a godsend you know Thanks. um to Thanks. fill in so many blanks and just also relive so much of it too but um you know one of the things that's been amazing to me as well uh has been you know since his passing uh, so much more information coming to light because when he was still with us, you know, they had non-disclosure agreements and zipped lips, uh, you know, for sure. And, you know, I've never been into gossip and that kind of thing, but I do want to know what transpired, you know? I think there's a difference between gossip and the story of how something happened. A gossip is, is salacious and, and, there's some fun stuff in this that you're going, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing. Because the guy lived a life that, you know, was, you know, a bit out there at times. But there's one time that, I mean, there's things that are just charming to me because it's insights into Prince. There's one story where the engineer, uh, or the, uh, the editor for Under the Cherry Moon was talking to Prince, a uh, woman named Rebecca Ross, a very sweet person. And she was telling me a story about how she's standing there with Prince and they're, they're talking about Michael Jackson. And Prince is standing there in his heels and his ruffles and 
full makeup and eyeliner and his hair done perfectly and and just you know like i said ruffles and and, and velvet and all this other stuff uh, um, and he's talking about how strange michael jackson is <laughs> and you're just like oh, okay it's all about context all about perspective and i love that to him there was nothing odd about him wearing ruffles and hair and and, and we all accept it it's like okay that's now, if I walked in the room dressed like that, you'd look at me like I was a lunatic. But he had gotten us all used to this so that we accepted it completely. This is Prince's, this is not an act. This is not a costume. This is what he wears. This is how he is. And you accept it. transcended that. all these things. Right. And, and style-wise and music-wise, everything kept changing. And the fact that he would not see that as odd but yet this is this is me he accepted completely about that so we accepted that about him so many times you see performers and you're going that guy's wearing a costume mm -hmm. you know i don't think that a lot of these bands that do this stuff that wear these fancy things walk around like that you know i don't picture uh p-funk walking around during the day well bootsy bootsy okay bootsy <laughs> yes okay and 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 probably you know, there's a few others, but you don't you, you don't picture that being the case. This is my stage performance, my stage persona, and this is this. Whereas Prince, you come almost see him wearing everything he wore on stage in in real life. You know, and that, there was something about that that made it authentic. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoyed so much about him is there was an authenticity to what he gave and shared. And 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 his artwork, his is everything about that seemed real, and whether it was odd to us or to anybody else, we completely accepted it. And and how many times to do a costume change on stage, but each one of those things he wore would be something he could wear at any other time. He would you see him going to a, a party or you see him going out to dinner, he was still wearing that stuff, you know. And and that's, that's I think kind of fun. You know, when I saw him in 79 at the Roxy in Sunset, he was wearing the bikini briefs and the leg warmers, only singing falsetto. Mm -hmm. And there were, you know, some brothers that were there, old, well older than I was. I was a teenager. And they were like yelling princess at him and, of and, and, and heckling him. Mm -hmm. The women that were there were swooning already. They were totally into it already. I saw the, the difference. And it definitely challenged some of my preconceived notions at the time. Sure. But he was so phenomenal that, like I said, he just transcended any preconceived notions. Right. And I was just going to go along for that ride no matter what. I agree. I agree. I, I, I was the same way. I felt like um, the, the, what he brought to it with his – everything about him was an extension of him. And at that period, wearing the leg warmers and the bikini briefs – was what he wanted to express. And yeah, that was more shocking. And that's probably why he did some of that. But it was like, it was such a shock at first to see that. I was like, okay, well, we accept it. You know, it, that's, that's how he led. He led with that. You know, it was like, wasn't like all of a sudden he was doing uh, normal clothes and then that. To us, we saw that as the first thing. Like, okay, well, that's how it's going to be. And then each album had a different look and different you know i look at you know looking back i uh the around the world today he had the um the blue um with the clouds that that suit which i thought was really cool and actually i was up in in um uh, uh minneapolis at one of the celebrations which i suggest anybody go to if you get the chance to go to the celebrations they're freaking awesome that i um, never got to do and i regret uh, it you should you should go to well when they do them we'll do one next year probably but go just to go because First of all, there's several things, the parties and the people and all this other stuff. The celebration of Paisley is one thing, but the entire town for that three or four days is Prince parties, Prince music. And, and it's, there's an infectiousness to this. And you get to meet people that are lifelong friends from this. I have people that are so close to from just going to these places and dancing and hanging out with them. Anyway, um, there was a, uh, a, they were taking a picture of one of the Prince groups. There's a lot of Prince groups out there. And one of the people and they they all all these women dressed in the suit with the clouds and i thought that's the coolest thing ever because it looked so cool and i thought i gotta get me one of those jackets somehow you know i gotta get a jacket that's clouds on it i would never wear it but you know it's like that was you know 
I thought that was really exceptional. I thought that really, there was another story. There was um, one of the women that, uh, that worked for Prince. And I don't remember, I, I, I think I know who it is, but I don't want to say who it is, but just in case. But she, was, she worked on his boots in the 80s and 90s. And she was flying uh, from one city to another. And she was working on the boots in the plane because she had, you know, it was a commercial plane. And the guy in the seat next to her said, are those for Prince? Like he recognized that, of course, they're for Prince. You know, it's a boot that looks like a, you and I couldn't be walking around in those boots. You know, just like I, I don't picture Gene Simmons walking around in his demon costume, you know, with the high, the, the, the things or Ace Freely with Matt, you know, thing. You just didn't get that. But Prince, they saw the boots and they thought, yeah, that's Prince. And they knew that that's what he would wear on stage in a studio, walking down the street, going for a hot dog. That's what he would wear. And you're just going, oh, okay, I get it. I accept it. And that that's one of the cool things about them. Well, even with Bowie, I didn't feel like, I felt like what he did on stage, I don't think he walked around as Ziggy Stardust. He might have for a little bit, but then he changed that. But I, I just never felt like he was, I felt that there's a theatrical presence as opposed to Prince, which I don't think Prince was being theatrical. I think he was just being Prince. Although there certainly was a dichotomy with him that's very common among performers and that he was, uh, especially at certain times, so shy offstage compared yeah. to just being a, a tiger on stage all the time. Right. So there was a, um, in the, the second book, I was lucky enough to get um, Elton John did the forward for the second book. Congrats and on that. Thank you. It was, I, 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 would, I would publicly thank Matthew Bitone, who was the, the guy who uh, arranged that. And long story short, uh, that was amazing. I mean, I just, I, 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 will I loved never, reading it. Yeah. It's really it, but hearing the, so anybody knows I won't give the whole thing away, but what happens is it starts off with him walking up to Prince at a, after a party and saying, hi, Prince, my name's Elton John. I'm a huge fan of your stuff. And Prince just went and walked away. And you're going, you don't walk away from Elton John. Elton John is one of the biggest selling artists of all time, literally more than Prince. He sold about 300 million copies of his stuff. And that that's and Prince has not sold that many. And to, to walk away from Elton John shows uh, uh, and it wasn't arrogance. Elton John said he seemed to be shy, and that was the fun thing to me. And Elton John liked Prince so much that he accepted this. He said, "Okay, I'll accept this." And he walked up to him again and said, "Hi again later." And Elton said, uh, and, "And Prince said, do you want to play on stage with me?" And so there's a whole story about that. It's just, it's just so much fun stuff to that. But the fact that you have a, a superstar, really one of the biggest entertainers in our generation that felt such a kinship to Prince that he wanted to write a forward to a book. That's, you know, I, the, the idea that my name would be on the cover of a book with Elton John and Prince, Prince, Elton John, me. You know, it's like, I, I, I keep laughing going, one of these things is not like the other, you know, because I do not belong on that cover with those guys. And and that's incredibly humbling to 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 know that he read the book, liked the book and wanted to write the forward to the book. So thank you, Matthew. Uh, thank you to Elton John and everybody involved with with getting that because, wow. <laughs> I have to get you some fancier glasses and some some boots. <laughs> Oh, I'm wearing the boots now. Yeah, I got, I got the boots on. But no, I, it's, just, it's, it's, yeah, phenomenal. And I've never met Elton John, never even talked to him. But there, just, I mean, there were precursors to, I mean, that kind of thing too, just even going back to, you know, the uh, American Bandstand thing and, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the James Brown thing that you mentioned and uh, just throughout, uh, We Are the World and all these things were, you know. Oh, absolutely. The guy was, there was a, a shyness to him that you saw that, that, uh, Dwayne, I wanted to ask you, um, first off, I want to thank you for uh, referencing Truth and Rhythm in, in the new book. So thank uh, you for me, that. Let me, let me uh, go back on that and, and open that up because the, the cool thing about your show, and I, I want to make sure I throw as much props to you as possible, is you found a way to make it so um, we get to hear from the musicians, whether it's, and, and not just musicians, I think that... Uh, Eric Lee uh, was uh, Alan Leeds was on Lisa Coleman. Uh, there's so many people that you've interviewed that I was able to find nuggets of information and quotes. And, and in the back of my book, I make sure that uh, you're you know, that your show is referenced uh, a couple times because 
you bring a lot to this. And what you're doing is you're talking to these people about the process and about music and about how it is with, with everything. That's invaluable. And, and when I use quotes from things, I always like to make sure I, I tell people where this came from. So what they can do is then look you up and look up your show and listen to not just the shows that I'm referencing, but see that you've got a litany of these things that are, are deep and important. And, and so I love that stuff. So when I, I saw that you wanted to talk to me, I got a little giddy because I was like going, I love this stuff. I love his show. I love what's done. So yes, I will completely confess to having pilfered through your stuff and and uh, and put references to it in the book, and I hope that's okay with you. Absolutely, I thank you for that and sure, for the sure. credit. And you know, sure. I have a modest goal with the show, Dwayne, and that is that every interview I do is the definitive interview of that person. Wow! So, wow! Yeah. I, had I known that beforehand, I would have set up straight and maybe put on. <laughs> No, nice pressure. Shirt. no pressure no pressure <laughs> tell me that at the end that's not fair <laughs> then be like oh i got another hour i gotta talk about i was i was a sad child you know no, i i know that i think that you do like i said the lisa coleman interview you did you know, so there's, there's hours of stuff you do with people and and i don't know how you get them to talk for four hours or something like that because but then again we've been talking for what you know a bit and it just it flies by it so does fly it's, by. It's, uh, That's what I tell them. Sometimes they'll say an hour. I'm like, hey, you know what? It's going to be nothing when we start talking. Um, exactly. It's funny when I was doing interviews for the book, there's certain people I talked to that I ended up talking for eight hours to. Uh, Susanna Melvoin, I talked to her for hours. I don't know if you talked to her before. Not yet, but hopefully. She's she's wonderful. She's absolutely a, 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 such a sweet soul. Um, Al Magnoli, who directed Pearl Rain, he and I talked for eight hours the first day. And I thought, we'll talk for a half an hour. And literally we talked for, you know, I'm not just joking, eight hours. Some of the other people I've talked to for 30 or 40 hours, not at one point, we'd have to get a meal somewhere in there. But, uh, you know, just at times over time, Susan Rogers and I've talked extensively, Peggy McCreary, um, uh, uh, Wendy and Lisa, there's just so many people that, you know, you can just, you find that time and, and they, they are open to um, all this. And it, it's, it, I think my one, so the good thing about what you got is you got an undiluted thing where you got, here's the start, here's the finish. Everything you say is, is now on the record where I'm talking to people. Sometimes they, it, there's a, um, they may be talking to me as a friend and I got to make sure I'm, I'm not um, saying something that they're saying to me just because we're friends. Confidence. You know? yeah. I always, I always make sure that what I'm saying, and if it's something that might be a little tender, I ask them, can I get clarification on that? Just so I know, because sometimes people have a bad day and, but with your show and shows like yours and other podcasts, that's what you have. You, they know going into this with, with it'll start at this time and it ends with this time and everything they say. Unfiltered. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that unless they say to you, you know what, I look back and I, I regret that maybe can can do something. And that's sure what I've done. Some, yes. I, and, and I think you do that probably because out of courtesy, because mm -hmm. people get comfortable and they say things, you know, and they go, yeah, no, I shouldn't have done that. And I've done that before. I've, I've asked, you know, if, I think that's common, but I try to do the same expression with people. And, and I've had times I've gone, I've written to someone who said, this is what you said. Are you, you know, is this what you meant? Because I want to make sure I'm, I'm accurate. And I will tell you, even with this one, there's, I'm, I think there's going to be probably some things I'm going. The first book is always the first time a book is out is the first time it's in context for everybody. And there might be people that go, you know what, now that I see in this in context, can I change that? So I may have to change things for the paperback. And that happens. You know, you may have a fact wrong or you may have a name wrong or sure. something like that. You, and you, you, your, your goal is to be as, as, as perfect about this as possible, but it's like at a quarter of a million words in this book. There's going to be a typo occasionally. Or there's going to be, you know, somebody saying, you know, I said that, but I, I don't think I would talk about the same date now that I think about it. And, sure. and, and, or you have information that may have been flawed from the start. And, and if the source is flawed or the memory is flawed, it's going to keep going. And I, I something I said in the, in the beginning of the book is, is memories are of this kind of stuff are often like a dream where you wake up in the morning and you, you got a bit of it, but it's drifting and you're not sure. 30 years on, I don't think people always remember what they had for lunch that day, you know, and, and things like that. So the, the, the memories kind of blend 
a little well, bit. Well, and, I don't know if you had any experience with this in your interviews that you did, but sometimes when you get more than one of them subjects together too, you know, from the same band mm -hmm. and you get them to answer questions together, they kind of start refreshing each other's memories. Yes. And, and, and isn't that the fun, I, I, one of the most fun things I had was not related to this necessarily, but I was out one time with a bunch of people who used to work for Prince. And it was an all off the record dinner we were having in Minnesota and, and they were telling their stories and I could listen to those stories all day long. And this is what you do on your show, but you have them telling the stories and one's like, and that's when I stormed out of the room. And the next one says, you want to know what happened? Once you stormed out, I'll tell you what Prince said. And, and so they are adding to the stories and, and that's the best when you get the layered stories. And there's a, there's a part in the book that is like that where uh, several, I hope so. Um, cause I'll often say, you know, this person said this, what you were there, what do you remember? And they'll go, Oh, and they'll, they'll be answering things. There was a part in the song splash and in the song splash, there's a, a lyric about winter green, something. And, and Susan Rogers is sitting there going, she realized that he, she had had these winter green mints in her purse. And she's like, that guy went through my purse. He went through my stuff. And, and she's like, ah. Oh. And then uh, Wendy comes in from another interview saying, yeah, that's kind of what Prince would do. He would always look for these, these references to things and he would, he would find this stuff. And then Lisa starts saying, um, and we started trying to sing the song and started saying, we're singing a gum commercial. And he's like, shut up and just sing it. And, and that to me is, is the charm because it's like them inviting you into the circle of stories. It's like you're sitting around a fire and all these people who were there are saying, let, let me add to that. And I, I, I love that. I love books like that. I love there's books that are just, just the paragraphs of people talking, no narration, no anything, but you know, a lot of, there's a number of books that have, I just read a book about Battlestar Galactica like that, James Bond like that, uh, Motley Crue had a book like that. I, I, I love those kind of books. There, yeah. There's been books, uh, Sly Stone's band and, uh, yeah, oral and, history and, things. And P-Funk yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's just when you start to see what the people doing that story's building, there's you know, without somebody without some yucca putts like me writing stuff, it's it's fun. And I try to make sure I get as many quotes in there as possible. And I try to put as few of my words in there as possible. I did, you know, I had to have the linking things, but the draw is the people that they're talking, not me. I just happen to be the the you know the the, the ringleader at that moment, kind of saying, okay, let's let's put it like this. But it's them and it's their stories. And they've been kind enough to share them with me with the intent that these will be shared with you. Not just you, but hopefully. Somebody. The collective you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The collective you. But that that's, to me, the draw of a book like this or that kind of stuff is, is the wide spectrum of voices. And sometimes they don't agree. You know, sometimes this person says, that never happened. And somebody says, I was in the room. And, and that is and when I see that I try to put both voices in there and say I wasn't there but this is what the documents say and this is what the people say they were there and they deserve some respect and 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 to be heard and and, and there's also is, there's perceptions are different too you know oh yeah oh yeah no they broke up with me oh I broke up with them you know there's there's of course and 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 so many people say oh I was in the room when that happened and other people say I was alone in the room when that happened so I know you weren't there and but there's I, I want to make sure I convey this because I think Prince also acted a little different on different people. And he might've said, yeah, this song's about you, baby. And then he sees another one and says, I wrote this song about you. <laughs> and then you put them both in the room. They're going, no, that was about me. Oh no, it was about me. And I think that you want to hear that stuff and, and know that this guy was, um, you know, the, the layers of what this guy was. And I think that that makes the music, it's tough. It, uh, I think Susanna Melboyne said, it's difficult to understand his music without understanding the man. And I'm blessed to have had so many people want to help me explain who the man was. Cause I never had a prince. I never worked with him. I, I can only go second, you know, second hand. But that said, don't you want to hear from people firsthand? I do, you know. Absolutely, yeah. So what you're going to continue the series and uh... I hope to, I hope to, I mean, it sounds like people enjoy this book. Um, so far the reviews have been really positive. Um, uh, and that's nice. I don't know how I top it. I, I don't know what I do because it's a great era. Sign, sign of times is a fantastic era. 
Um, if I do, I would like to go into the next book, um, maybe 87, 88, which is Sign of the Times Tour, Love Sexy, and The Black Album, which would be really I, I fun. I think it's about equally as good to me. But Okay, yeah. good. Well, that's good. I, I, I think the music maybe, I'm trying to think of the story is. The mm. story of this second book is really amazing because you have the transition between the revolution and the new band. At the end of the book, he is... He submitted the album to Warner Brothers. It's been rejected. He doesn't have a touring band. He's broken up the revolution and he's breaking up with Susanna and his, his fiance. So there's a, a dr drama to what happens in the second book. I haven't looked into the third book. I've, I've got it mapped out, but I don't know. I don't know the behind I had the story hasn't been revealed to me yet. And that's well, there's, kind of there's certainly was a lot of personal soul searching for him during that era with what happened with the black album and love yes. sexy. And yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. And I think that, I think there's a lot to mine there. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. The cool thing is I didn't know that the second book would be like it was. And as you know, when you write a book, it kind of comes to life in front of you and you realize, Oh, this is like a, when I was writing the second book, I didn't know how important the event of when uh, the night of the American music awards would be where he went out and his guards beat up a um had a had a you know somebody tried to take his picture and i didn't see looking at it and how important that would be and then when you start seeing it in context you see that he started writing songs about that every interview he did after that talked about that and and his behavior changed and and you start to see that and i, I you're looking for that that turn and I, I, I it, that's a big turn, I think, in his career, because up until then, he was pretty much flawless and he's at the peak of his career. And then that night happened and you go, oh, OK. And you start seeing the repercussions of that over time. Um, I don't know what that would be for three, book three, but I'm, I'm open. The nice thing is I'm, I'm just open to it. Bring it. And I want to see it and I want to feel it and I will express it. But I, I haven't interviewed some of these people yet. I've interviewed Kat Glover um, and she's great. And I've interviewed Levi and he's great. Um, and, you know, but some of the people that were there for the um, first and second books are no longer there. And, and Susan Rogers is only in for the first six, seven, eight months of, of uh, the third book. So it's like, okay, I've interviewed some people. I'm open to where the story goes. I'll see. I, I, I think it could be a really cool book um, and I want to do it. And then possibly I'd like to go back and do 81, 82 which is, you know, the, the groundswell and, and, you know, dirty mind and controversy and then recording 1999. I think that would be fun too. So I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm 57 years old and I kind of want to make sure that I have time to do all this stuff too. You know, I, a, a book You're takes- his age. And trust me, that did not go without thinking that when it happened. And uh, it, that's the interesting thing is you realize, oh, everything can be taken away at, at, in mid-conversation at one moment and and so you start to think i've got a, a child and i've got a wife and i want to spend time with them but at the same time i have these stories i want to get out it's like when you know this many cool things how can you not write you know how can you how can you not express that and that's where i am right now I, i've got stories i want to tell and 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 ways to pay back prince for having given us so much i, I want to make sure i can give that to everybody and it's fun and you know Writing a book is great, and then the the, the uh, it, there's other there's an arrogance to when you write because you're saying, I have something to say that's so important that you're going to want to have this on your nightstand, and you're going to want to spend two weeks reading this. But it's not about me. It's it's about um, expressing a passion I have for what Prince gave, and it all always goes back to what Prince gave, and 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 what we got from him, and if I can do tiny bit of of expressing how i feel and what he he gave and the parts of his heart he gave to all of us i'm, I'm really happy and if and the fact that, there, that a lot it resonates with a lot of people is even better because it just it, it is more just now i know people that um that feel like i do and it's, it's a nice feeling Absolutely. And I'm so yeah. glad we could connect like this. Absolutely. Dwayne, Absolutely. You know? This is a lot of fun. This is yeah. a lot. Of, even though you grilled me and I'm going to be, <laughs> and as like I said, the next hour I'm going to be going, Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that song. Ooh, you know, but no, I, I, I just love what you bring to this. I, I, when you wanted to do a talk, I was like, Oh yeah, that's the perfect forum. How could I not say yes? Give people the website uh, and all that good information. 
Um, my, uh, I don't know if this is on the screen, but you can see right down here, DwayneTudal.com, which is my name. If you want to order a signed book of uh, the second book, uh, the second book comes out June 10th. It's called uh, Prince. This, this will air after that, but. What's that? This will air after. Okay. June 10th. Well, okay. The second book, let me change the tense again. The, the second book came out <laughs> on June 10th. Um, yeah. Probably for evergreen. You want to just be saying the, by the time you see this, it'll be, it'll be out, but uh, you, can, you can get it from Amazon or Barnes and Noble or your favorite bookstore or the bookstores you don't like to. Um, but it's, you can offer, want to order a, a signed copy. Uh, you can go to DwayneTudal.com and uh, you can, um, I, I, although it's very expensive to send it internationally. I suggest buying it locally if you can, if you're international. I'll happily send it, but I'm just telling you, the the postage cost is very steep. But I'm happy to do it. I, I offer that. Um, but I love signing books and I love personalizing them to people because I, I used to collect books, you know, signed books by people, and so it's always fun to have a signed book on your on your shelf. Um, but go to that site or go to Barnes and Noble, and if you get the book and like the book please write a good review on, on Amazon. It's, it's one of those things where good reviews and good word of mouth can only help. And I, I want to make sure the publisher knows that people like this stuff. Because I think when they start, first signed up to sell the book, they didn't understand what there was a passion for this stuff. And there was a, an interest in this. And, and the fact that um, people do come out of the woodwork for this stuff and people do enjoy this stuff. And people have said that, you know, Prince changed their life. And I don't think there's, I don't think people outside the purple circle understand how important Prince was to us. And, and not just as a musician, but as an artist, as somebody who expressed what he wanted to, as somebody who did what he wanted to and dressed like he wanted to and, and, and changed the course of music in a way that, that, that really few have ever done. There's a reason why there's a celebration every year in, in Minneapolis. There's a reason why Prince fans are so dedicated and know stuff and want to know stuff. He he brought that to us. He made us feel that we were part of a big family. And now that a, now that the leader of the family is not there, we all want to connect to our brothers and sisters and cousins and some big, slightly dysfunctional family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's and and, it, and like I said, there's a, there's a bond. And you and I are brothers now. And and it just there's there's it's fun having people reach out to me and say. Dude, I love that story, and it's like it's not even my story, but they they're connecting with me because I I I helped say oh this is stories here's and 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 I'm in the mix somewhere. I just want to be in the room, and that's all. That's how I feel with this stuff. Is I feel like I'm in the room with this stuff when it's happening, and and can bring that to other people. What a what a joy that is. What a, what a fun thing that is. So well, congratulations on all of it, and thank you for bringing it to us. Thank you, man. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. I, I, I'm, I look forward to the next book when I get done with that talking to you again. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> I'm not an old man by then. Yeah. Well, we so, can talk Prince anytime. Absolutely. I, I, I hope we get. A, I hope we get together in person. That'd be a lot of fun. That'd be a lot of fun. You know. So, thank you, man. Thanks, Dwayne. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Qualfine saying, 
Keep on, Keep on vibing, vibing to the rhythm of the one.